Welcome to the Sharon Fitzmaurice podcast and today is episode 81 and my guest today is Helen Kelly. Helen is an African reflexologist living in Roscan Galway in the west of Ireland. She has many things in life including being a mother, a wife, a daughter, a sister, an aunt, a grand aunt, a dog and horse lover. She's genuine, practical, down to earth, empathic, friendly, funny, kind and sometimes a bit mad. She describes her life so far using the analogy of the game of Jenga, which involves building a tower from wooden bricks. The object of the game is to take away one brick at a time, trying to avoid the tower collapsing. She says the tower, her life, had a rocky foundation from an early age. There were many times she fell apart as bricks were withdrawn, leaving her feeling shaky and frightened until her early 20s when her ability to keep going completely collapsed like the tower. She has rebuilt the tower many times, balancing the good times with the not so good. Having experienced negative emotions such as chronic anxiety, severe depression, loneliness, loss, deep trauma and grief along the way. Her motivation in sharing her story publicly for the first time is to help someone else that may be struggling to let them know that it is possible to overcome difficult times and trauma and live a happy, satisfying and joyful life. Helen, you are very welcome. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. Oh, lovely to have you on. So we might give a little bit of, you know, I often say how I connected to people. And myself and Helen were talking about this the other day and how we connected. And if I'm correct, it was through um, the pandemic time, Helen, is that right? That's right, yeah, during the lockdown. Um, I did one of your uh, meditations online, Sharon, I think it was the four rooms. Oh, very good. I yeah. love the four rooms. Oh, really? So, so yeah, I hadn't met Helen in person that time, but we had connected quite a lot online, as we did with everybody else online during the pandemic, which we were all grateful for. And then after that, Helen decided she'd like to come and see me one to one. And it was an amazing experience for me also. But after that session, I realized that I connected with Helen even more and that she had gone to the same secondary school as me for a year or two. (laughs) And we were just so amazed. And we realized that we had so many connections, not just in going to school and Helen, you know, partaking, participating in my some of my workshops, but also in our stories. And Helen, as I said, is going to share some of her story publicly for the first time today. And Helen, we're so grateful. I always say it takes a lot of courage and strength to come forward. But again, as you said, your motivation is to help somebody else that's struggling out there. So we, instead of going forward, we're going to go back a little bit, Helen. And again, whatever you're comfortable with speaking about, tell me about you know, those bricks that were taken away from your tower, your life at a young age and how you felt as a young child within yourself and in your environment? Well, I suppose um, hindsight is a great thing. Looking back now, uh, what I thought was happening to me um, were kind of the impacts of different things and life events. So I would describe myself, the feelings of a child would be highly anxious. So I was a bit a bit of a nightmare to be minded. Stories my sister tells me, my eldest sister of uh, when mum and dad would go out 
and they wouldn't go for long. They might have been going back in the day for a prayer meeting or something. I'd be bawling. The minute they left, I'd be crying. So, you know, nowadays I call that attachment anxiety. Um, and I suppose then when I was in my teenage years, I would have felt the first symptoms of depression. Um, again, I would have put it down to maybe hormonal issues. Mm. Well, there was a lot going on, you know, um, and again even looking back I don't even know how much I shared back then with my friends I couldn't even tell you now you know the friends of my teenage years knew what I was like again kind of social anxiety I remember when we were well probably just uh, able to uh, go to the pub I remember being in the pub where I wouldn't go up to the bar there was no way on earth I was walking up to that bar on my own god almighty people would be looking at me you know mm. that kind of attitude Um, so they would have known that side of things but um, in my 20s, then uh, things got very bad with depression and um, I would have put that down to a relationship breakup uh, mm. at the time. I was um, actually engaged mm. <laughs> at a very young age to be married to an absolutely gorgeous guy. But what I've learned from uh, the last few years, really the inner work, as you call it, Sharon, mm -hmm. is there was a lot of trauma in my life, a lot of trauma I hadn't recognized. So therefore, the danger we have when we haven't recognized our own traumas and some of them can be, uh, you know, they used to call it capital T for a big trauma or small T for a small. But um, I'm using the words now from another trainer called overt trauma or covert trauma. Mm -hmm. And even the covert, a lot of it may have been covert as in you know, just wasn't recognized. The and the danger of that is that we don't seek help or are, are offered help. Um, and not that I wasn't offered help. My my family was very supportive. Again, I just must have driven them insane <laughs> because at the time um, when things got very bad, I, we were living in London. We had actually lost our family business and all moved to London one by one. Uh, my parents were fantastic starting again. And um, they were probably around my age now in their 50s and they started again. So, you know, that's when I got very, very severely depressed and um, they did all they can. But I'd say I had a feeling of we all had a feeling of being displaced, I suppose. Mm. Uh, you know, we had to leave, leave Galway, leave our home, leave everything we knew and start again. And, um, you know, so all these events, all these things that happened to me um they shaped, you know, they had an impact on me. And I would have said, yeah, I had anxiety, yeah, I had depression, uh, you know, put it down to all these things. But now I realize, having gone through even only last week, a training, online training program about trauma, is that it's not just the events that happen to us, it's the mm. context they happen in. And two people can have the exact same experiences and have different outcomes or, or impacts. And really the context you know, for me, that was 30 years ago. You know, people, the help and support was so different to now. Um, I did end up in hospital. Um, I was, I'm very grateful to those medics who did, in effect, save my life. But some of the stories I could tell you about how I was treated. I mean, you know, comical stuff. I can laugh about it now, but I wasn't laughing then. Mm. But, you know, so just, you know, recognizing all that now and remember, you were probably the same, Sharon. Back then, you didn't talk about this stuff. No. You know, we grew up with, um, don't be telling anybody anything. 
mm. you know, you might you might have been. And it wasn't just our family. This was the the context, the culture. You didn't, you know, air your dirty laundry like and mm. everything was a secret. So we weren't, you know, I suppose my feeling was, you know, you might be told something and don't don't tell anyone that now. Mm. And that might have been a friend or a teacher or a parent or whatever. But sure, I'd go blab and <laughs> I'd tell everybody. And then if I was caught, I was in trouble. And if I wasn't, I just was living with the guilt, you know. Mm. So I suppose a lot of my feelings and memories of childhood would have been confusion Um very uncomfortable in myself mm. I certainly didn't know who I was I spent you know a lot of times mimicking others trying to figure out what they were covering it up trying to be funny you know uh, I was very sociable thankfully lots of friends that kind of thing so despite there have been tough times like there was you know really good genuine times good fun we were very privileged we had lovely holidays you know things like that but ultimately inside me as a person I didn't know who I was and I didn't really like, you know, the person I was. Mm. But thankfully, that's changed. Wow, that's lovely. Thank you so much, Helen. And as you said, again, in those times, and I think most people kind of in our age bracket now will say they didn't have the language, they didn't have the awareness, you know, that there is now, you know, when you're talking about trauma. And it's a really good point that you made that many people experience trauma, but they don't see it as trauma because they think, well, that's nothing compared to Mary or Jimmy down the road and what they experienced. So mine isn't that big and it's not that important, you know, but I'm making it bigger than it is. But as you said, trauma um, can be felt and it can be triggered at different stages in our life, but it is the impact of that trauma. And sometimes it's not realized until years later. As you look now, as you said, in hindsight, and you look back on your life, there was one thing that really triggered a huge amount in your life, and that was the tragic loss of your brother, John. That's true. That was in, it's 25 years now. Can you believe it? I can't believe it. So he was only 29. And John and myself were very close. I mean, we were a close family anyway. And, you know, the shock and the suddenness of his death. He died on holidays um, out in the Canaries just before Christmas. And, you know, it was massive. It was huge. Anybody who's been any th- through anything similar or lost anybody can understand that, you know. Um, and again, we were living in London at the time and he was living in Dublin. And I'll never forget again the good stuff that came out of it mm. the sense of community you know there was a lot involved two of my sisters had to go and bring his body back you know we went to the mo- to to the morgue at dublin airport even the guards were so nice to us like you know they gave us um you know they drove ahead of us and um people con- drove down behind us people met us in Athlone. we just felt surrounded i felt you know mm. surrounded by love i kind of I left, I left Galway feeling, well, you know, fuck the lottie, I hate you all, I'm out of here, you know. Mm. And and London was brilliant in terms of, you know, gaining confidence and, you know, seeing another, you know, country, all that kind of stuff. But coming back, coming back, with, you know, in those circumstances, um, it was fabulous. You know, we were um, fortunate. Our, our home, I think at the time, was rented out. But I think the people gave it to us and... We were able to wake him at home and we were, you know, have his friends around. And, and the majority of people were just, you know, so kind to you. Mm-hmm. You, get the, you get the one who you knew were in for a look. Like. Yeah. But at the same time, 
you know, and like you've taught me, Sharon, about losing somebody, just knowing and feeling their spirit is around me all the time. Mm-hmm. My connection with John today is nearly as strong as I was back then mm-hmm. and more so in the last few years. And I do have you to thank for that, you know, with, along with a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he is with me, no doubt, you know, all the time supporting me. And everything I've gone through in the last few years, healing from all the stuff, all the traumas, all the events, you know, laughing and joking about all the good stuff. You know, he's getting to do that now where he is now, too. And, you know, I'm just thrilled about that as well. Yeah, that's so lovely. And again, that tragic loss of, you know, somebody in a family is absolutely huge because it impacts on your relationship with yourself, questioning life, questioning, you know, did I notice what could I have done? Could I have changed anything? All of those things. And then having to deal with, and I always say you're dealing with your own grief, but you're dealing with maybe was there any resentment or regret? Was there any anger at the time for you? Oh, I went through every myriad of emotions. Absolutely. And I would have had, you know, I would say I was numb for at least five years solid after that. Um, and very still very lost in my own life, still not knowing who I was or what I wanted, you know. But uh, like everybody, I just kept going. I kept putting one front, foot in front of another. Um, and I suppose, you know, just the fact that I have, in a way, he, he has left his legacy. He has left some fabulous legacies. Mm-hmm. He wanted us all back and going. Mm-hmm. You know, it killed him that we had to go to London. We lost the business. So he got that wish. The minute he died, we all just packed up and came home. And there was lots we didn't know about him. Or we, oh, I would only learn about him before he died. He told me he was writing poetry. Now, this guy was a footballer. like you know, yeah. He was a lad. He was a regards about the guy. And then we discovered, what? You're writing poetry? So I'm blessed that I have a poem he wrote to me. Mm. You know, And recently enough, um, somebody else encouraged me. And I took what I call my John box out of the attic. And out came the poem. And a very good friend of mine gave me a gorgeous gold frame. And I framed that and it's on the wall in my treatment room now. And underneath that is a poem I wrote. Oh, that's so <laughs> Which beautiful. Which I laugh about even more because I never thought there was a poet in me for sure, Sharon. <laughs> my creativity, because of what I'm going through in the last few years and my healing and the reflexology, my creativity is coming out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I treasure, I treasure the, the things. I suppose it's taught me at the end of our lives when we're gone, there's very, very, very little um, material things left and there's very little few things that matter. Mm. And, you know, what matters to me is that poem and that love and that poem he has for me. And the silly little things like, you know, it was 1997, but he was one of the first of a mobile phone. And oh, my God, did he love that mobile phone, you know, and it was one of the small ones with the tiny little numbers that flipped over. And he was like, does he even work this? He's big, humongous fingers, like you know. But he loved that phone. He loved his gadgets. You know, yeah. he'd he'd ring me up. He rang me up one day to tell me that they were building the M50 in Dublin. I was like, okay. But it's, he was so excited about it because we're going to make a massive difference to him and his life and the business he was trying. You know, yeah. so we'd have the maddest conversations. But he loved a gadget, and I love that I have that. But, you know, I have more than that. I have him here with me all the time in spirit, and and now I'm connecting, and I'm really, really. Just feeling him and his energy around me, which is lovely. Beautiful. And uh, I think it was two weeks ago I had Jessica Kenny on and she had lost her partner as well in a tragic work accident. And like that, she has that beautiful connection with Andrew, her partner as well. 
And as I said to her that day, not everybody has that. And I'm sure there was times in your life where you had felt that loss deeply. How did you build that connection with John, Helen, so that other people that are listening that they don't understand or they don't feel that connection? They're still very much in the grief and the sadness and the loss and maybe the hurt and anger, you know, with a tragic passing. Mm -hmm. How did you find that connection with John? Well, I suppose it's it's closer recently. I suppose years ago, you know, we'd hear a song on the radio and it might be one from his funeral or something and you'd nearly switch it off because the pain was too much, you know. Mm. But then, you know, as the years go by, it's time. It's really time. And as the years go by, um, you know, just thinking of more. When he died originally, it was the why. Why, the anger, the wanting, the answers, the details, I need it. You know, but it's all those cycles and eventually the acceptance. You know, it doesn't really matter how he died, where he died. He's gone. Physically, he's gone. But I suppose awakening my own spirituality in the last few years has really, you know, I felt that connection much more. And even I listened to that fabulous um, podcast with Jessica and reached out to her and texted her afterwards. And, you know, because I'm all about having a bit of crack and having a bit of fun like you, Sharon, and having mm-hmm. a laugh no matter what's going on. And, you know, she was talking about, you know, the messages she was getting from Andrew. So I was like, oh, my God, this is great crack. Hang on now and I'll have a bit of fun with John on this, you know. So I started. So basically, I process. I'm a talker like you and I process everything out loud. So now I just go around talking to him all the time, you know. And I was joking with my husband and I was like, I'm going to have to crack now and see, can I get a message from John? You know, I see what he, you know, leave something so I know he's here and all this kind of stuff. And he goes, yeah. Could you just ask him for a few bob while you're asking? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm the whole time asking him now. There was a competition on the radio yesterday. Any chance, John? Any chance? You know, and small things we used to do, like growing up, I never forget. You probably remember Air Square, driving around Air Square with your mother in the car, trying to find a parking spot. You used to to park back then. And my mother would be like, no, she's quite religious. Now we just say a prayer to the Lord. Can we get a parking spot? And should we be eye rolling in the back of the car, you know? But, um, you know, when he died, I'd be asking him for stuff. I'd be like, Jesus, can I just get a car park? And then I'd be going, how can he give me a car parking space? Like, is he magic? What's going on? And I used to say, what's going on up there, Sharon? And you go, will you stop looking up? He's not up there at all. He's around you, you know. So by listening to others, by, you know, going through my own spiritual journey. And I read a line in a book, which I'll probably get wrong now, but um, it just stood out to me about the longest spiritual journey any human being, any physical being will ever have is from the head to the heart. Mm. And really going back to the trauma, that's what happens to us. We disconnect from our bodies because either, you know, of the trauma or not safe. Also, what the trauma does to us is it shifts our central nervous system. Mm. Um, you know, so connecting back in to your body and who you are and you know, finding my true authentic self. I didn't even know what that meant. You know, <laughs> I was going around listening to these podcasts, go, what do you mean authentic? What are you talking about? But then I heard, I think it was Brenny Brown. I heard her saying something like I, that she was a chameleon. She could be anybody you wanted her to be. And I mm. thought, oh my God, that was me. I could just, I could fit in anywhere, but I never felt like I belonged. Mm. And that's and so now, powerful, Helen. You know, and I love that. And I know there's many people, me included, that felt like that also. And, you know, I've shared my story. As I say, I've shared it. I've talked about it. I've written the book on it. 
And that's why I appreciate. And again, I started these podcasts was to share stories like yours, Helen, that, you know, as I always said years ago, when we were going through our worst times, you know, that if we had people that were open and shared their stories, we wouldn't have felt so isolated or so alone and that we were the only one going through this. So I love that, you know, that when you say I didn't know what my authentic self was, I don't think many people know what their authentic self is until they start connecting within. And that's something that you started doing. And I know you had come through a huge amount of stuff in your own life. But when you did start connecting it with yourself and you are a talker and you love asking questions and what does that mean and how do you do that? But the thing is, you yeah, you don't just sit there and wait for the answer to come out of the ether. You actually go looking, you're curious and you search for some meaning to that question or that wondering within yourself. And even the fact of reaching out to people, you know, that for me is the way of connection. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to help and encourage each other, support each other by sharing what we know freely with everybody else and again that's the reason why I love people coming on and sharing their stories you know and that they I suppose have the courage within themselves because once you hear yourself speaking back on the podcast you know you Mm -hmm. go god there was so much more I really wanted to say but this is the start Helen for you and I've said that to you you will share your story more and more and more this is just the start for you today so bravo Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And I could just a few points on that. One is thank you for all you have done. For me. And by you sharing that story, by you reading that book, you have helped me heal, you know, other th- traumas that I hadn't recognized or wasn't able to recognize at the time. And now I can't describe the difference in how I feel. I feel like you talked about, you know, it was a self-imposed prison I put myself into. Mm. Not not knowingly, but to survive and unshackling that or, you know, breaking down those invisible bars have just left me feeling so free. I can't describe it. It feels so good. The feelings of anxiety, the ball of anxiety that used to live in my stomach that I had normalized. That was my life that I didn't even, you know, know I could feel any different. That's lifted. That's mm. gone, you know, and I say this to my clients and I now share. You taught me how to share. You taught me how to share on Facebook. You know, you told me connect with people, put love hearts in. And at the beginning, I was laughing. Going, if I was looking at this three years ago, I'd be eye rolling at myself, like, you know, but <laughs> so good. And it feels so genuine and it feels so me. And like I'm the same with my clients. You know, when I went through my reflexology training, taught as part of all the case histories, like you've taught, we I can't heal anybody else. I can facilitate. I can help them. What is it? Your, your line is help them to learn how help. to heal themselves. Absolutely. And for me, it's giving them a toolbox. And, you know, my most recent trauma that I've healed from, I wondered, God almighty, why did this come out now? Why am I dealing with this now? Why did I never disclose mm. or discuss this before? And it's because divine time and the time was right. But also I had the tools now. I know had had I probably tried to deal with that years ago I probably would have ended up back in hospital again you know what I mean but now I knew you know had the support systems around me and there was so much more out there available the podcasts I've listened to you know the YouTube the people that are there so much of it free so much support so I just what I do for my clients when they come to me no matter what is is going on for them whether it's insomnia anxiety stress 
you know, or they just simply want to relax. You know, I'm feeding them on. I tell them, look, I'm going to send you about 10 things. Don't be overwhelmed. Whatever is for you will land. Whatever, you know, and one thing will lead you down a rabbit hole to another thing and another thing. But, you know, what I always come back to you, Sharon, is you and your stories and telling people, you know, sharing because, you know, I wouldn't have healed from the last trauma only for you and your book. And I read that book twice. <laughs> you know, twice. The first time I read it. Twice. <laughs> yeah. Because the first time I read it, I was reading it detached, you know, and looking at, at, at your life and empathizing with you and what you went through. And the second time I read it back, I read it connected to myself and what mm. I went through. And, you know, they were two different books. <laughs> wow. But it helped me so much. It helped me so much. And it is gut-wrenchingly nervous for me to speak out about my story. Um, but what I've lo- learned also from you and from all I've been going through, it's my story. I'm allowed to share it. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, Yes, you are. And I love that. And, you know, again, and that's what I think your authentic self is and being your true self. You know, it's saying I don't have to be or speak a certain way or look a certain way. I can just share my story because it's your truth. It's what has brought you to this moment here today, Helen, you know, and I always say that whether it's big or small in your mind, it's still important to you. And whatever you've gone through in your life, what another person might consider big or small, it's still going to have or did have an impact on your life. But the ways in which you helped heal and are now sharing, you know, and even through your clients and even through your social media, you know, that is having an impact on other people because every little thing we do, and we think it's not that important, but every little thing we put out, somebody, and if it's only that one person is going to resonate with it and it plants, I always say that it plants a little seed. Maybe they're not ready yet to go on their healing journey. Maybe they haven't even fully acknowledged what went on for them in their lives but maybe it'll plant a little seed and they'll say, oh, maybe this might help me or this means something to me. Maybe it's time to start considering getting support so that I can move through this. And I think that's what you have done. And that's why I love you so much, because I think you really allowed yourself to be supported. You were so honest in everything that you approached and said, well, I don't understand that. What, how is that going to help me? How do I do that? How do I connect? What are the chakras? You know, what do they all mean? <laughs> you know, and it's not just surface level stuff. You you kept going deeper and deeper and deeper within yourself. And I think for you, you know, sharing this as well, for me, I feel so hopeful, you know, when I see you from where I first met you, it gives me great hope that if you really and this is where I know now you love and value yourself because you put that love and value into becoming the best version of you that was already inside of you, but that was shrouded with layers of trauma and patterns and beliefs and everything that were not true for you. They were just covering up the pain and the shame and the guilt that we all had years ago. And then when you can stand out, as you said, on your own and say, well, this is beckoning me <laughs> and it's, I'm happy to be me right now. Yeah. I am so happy to be me. Yeah, I actually love my life. Oh. And, you know, to be able to say that I love my life. 
And I've had so many aha moments or ding-dongs, as I call them. You know, when you read a book or you listen to something and it just dawns on you, you go, oh, I go, oh, my God, now this. Like, you know, last week I was doing that trauma training and they talked about boundaries. And I was like, yeah, 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 boundaries. But then when somebody said something in a, in a chat group or something, I was like, oh, that's what that means. Okay. Oh, my God, I did that. You know, whether, you know, some, one person said they'd no boundaries, they either overshared or they kept secrets. And I was like, oh, that's what a boundary is. Okay, now I understand. You know, for me to understand things, I need, you know, sometimes explained more than once. I needed to explain in a certain way. So that's why, you know, reaching out and helping others and just giving a hope. All I wanted back then was someone to do what, what I'm doing now. Mm. It's telling them, you're not broken. Mm. You don't need to be fixed. You know, you're going through something. This will pass. Everything is temporary. Everything will work out in the end. You know, it always does. And if it has not worked out yet, it's not the bloody end. You'll get there. And we can. I listen to a lot now. Esther Hicks, I'm a little bit of an addict. And uh, Abram Hicks, and you know, basically. Her, you know, the teachings of the law of attraction. And um, I just get so much fun out of it because it's really funny, you know. And it's real and it's practical. And, you know, that's the type of person I am. But she talks about creating her own reality, basically, with her own thoughts and her own beliefs and beliefs being just thoughts that you think over and over again. So we could change all those. Like, And I'm living proof of it. I've changed my thoughts. I've changed and they've led to changing my perception. I'm attracting more into my life of the good stuff, of the stuff that I always dreamed of. You know, when I the last few years, I lay down in my bed one night and I just went, oh, my God, I have everything I dreamed of back then. Mm. I have a fabulous husband. I have two beautiful children. You know, I have Lexi the dog. <laughs> you know, I have it all. I've won the lotto, mm. you know, and like that may seem really simple. But when we bring it back to, again, the loss of my brother, what did he got at the end of his life? There was a few boxes of stuff. Mm. I'll tell you another funny story. We were joking yesterday. I'm always, always trying to win money off the radio. And uh, so they, they were at, there was a competition anyway. And so I always go, okay, lads, to the kids, you know. So when we win this money now, what's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to book a flight. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with the money, you know? So my son says, I want five grand. What do you want five grand for? You're 10. And he goes, because I want to buy a whole load of crap I don't need. <laughs> he's always he's also ingrained in stuff and buying things and having you know things that might make him feel better and that's what it's all down to it's all down to we all we want to do is feel better feel better in our bodies Mm -hmm. and you know what's led me to all of this you know is reflexology and that's what it does it helps you feel better in your body it soothes Mm -hmm. the nervous system it calms it down brings everything back into balance, into harmony. And every client that comes out of that chair says, oh, my God, I feel so much better now. I feel lighter. I feel brighter. I feel calmer. And, you know, what I give and what I offer is what I wanted. You know, reassurance, love, you know, nurturing. Every treatment I give is from my heart. And all I want to do is I feel so good now. I just want everyone to feel that good because it is possible absolutely possible absolutely and i can be witness to and you know a 
after having a few sessions with you, Helen, it was just absolutely amazing. And I'm always saying that to people, just because we're therapists and we do this work, we also need to be supported and look after ourselves so we can help others. You know that it's you, you can't fill, you know, you can't drink from an empty cup. So fill your own cup first and then look after everybody. That's not selfish. That's self-love and self-care. So, yeah. And tell me about your reflexology journey. Tell me about why you chose reflexology and where you went with it. Well, I suppose it was a treatment I would have gone for all along throughout the years. You know, I used to joke with my friends, they'd spend their money on clothes. I didn't have any interest in that. I was going for massages and acupuncture and reflexology. And, you know, some of that came from my mother. She was really, you know, into alternative therapies, uh, which was brilliant. I was brought to an acupuncturist as a child for my back or whatever. So I kind of it was my go to. Again, I didn't really connect. I just knew it made me feel a bit better when I wasn't feeling great. Um, so it was a physical ailment that uh, I, I ended up, you know, kind of going back into it again. And I had had a surgery, gallbladder surgery. And a couple of months after that, you know, I felt grand afterwards. And then I started to decline, started to get very tired, feeling really sick, you know, losing tons of weight, started getting all these tests done. Oh, you know, when you start going for all these medical tests, you get all these incidental things. And it was just leading on and on. I was getting more stressed, more worried. Um, so, you know, I, I went back and I, I rang um, Marguerite Brady in Loch Grey. She's a reflexologist and she has a fabulous school. And I remember thinking, I'm so tired. I can't drive to Loch Grey. Have you, can you tell me anybody else closer to me? But sure. And she did. She gave me a big list of people. And then I went, it, I'll just go down to, <laughs> to Marguerite in Loch Grey. So I went for regular treatments with her. And, you know, that was the start of it. It really, I started physically feeling better. You know, I started, I, I didn't even connect, you know, how it was just helping me heal in every which way. Like you say, in the four rooms, you know, mm. in our um, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, spiritual parts of our beings, you know. But I, I could only think physical back then, mm. you know, and I couldn't go any further. But I knew I liked it and I kept the treatments up. And then I had actually contacted her when my kids were quite young about training. But I'm glad I didn't do it back then because I was overwhelmed and too stressed. The kids were too young. It wasn't the right time. So, of course, being typical of me, I hemmed and I hawed and, oh, my God, could I make that financial commitment? Again, part of the impacts of my trauma, I realize now, is that I found it difficult to stick at things. I found it difficult to commit to things. So anyway, I bit the bullet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the first day I went into training. Now, Marguerite was fabulous. Again, she brought me down before that kind of, you know, as an extra pair of feet and modeling, whatever. So I got an idea of what it was like. And then on the first day I went down, I never forget, I trained with a fabulous group of women, but one of them said, I'm not sure if I'm in the right place. And I went, oh my God, I'm in the right place. The first time in my life, I felt like I was in the right place. And, you know, we spent two years training and um, it was weekends and they were the best weekends. They were just fabulous. And she brought meditation into it. So this was a big thing for me as well. I never meditated. Sure. Like you say, Sharon, thought that was all woo-woo stuff. And uh, not for me, you know, because but I was living in my head. I was hypervigilant. I was my central nervous system was locked to on all the time and very hard to relax. And I was busy. Go, go, go. One job, one job, next job, job. What's happening next? And really, the meditation just helped me calm down the mind, connect back into the body. And um, I just learned how to feel better in my own body. 
And that's what the reflexology is done. And then, like you say, when one layer is healed, when the phys- physical, you know, I was off work at the time and back to work and, you know, um, then we were in lockdown mm-hmm. and, you know, it was a terrible time for a lot of people, but it was great. I got to train all through it. I had something to focus on, you know, and a lot of stuff was online and all that kind of stuff. So basically, anyway, um, and as it turned out, originally the course would have been two years. You do the, the hands first for the first year and then the feet for the second. You'd be qualified after two years. But because we did it backwards, because the feet, you were, you know, physically away from somebody, from a breathing perspective. Um, so I we qualified the first year in the feet and we could practice. And then we went on and did the second year anyway, the postgrad. So I was able to open uh, Roscam Reflexology nearly a year ago on the 8th of February, which is my brother's birthday. No coincidence there. And then I was I was uh, worked as an accountant for 25 years and I was working part time for the last few years. And so then on the 8th of June, I left the accountancy and started the reflexology full time. And so that's that's where it's at. Now I in the last six months, I have just found the most and met the most amazing clients. I treat people here in my treatment room in West Cam in my garden. I have clients that I work with with physical and intellectual disabilities. I absolutely love that work. I love all my work. I also work part-time supporting uh, a woman, a young woman uh, with a physical disability. The fun we have together, the connection we have. My whole world has just opened up to more joy, more fun, more enjoyment. Um, so, you know, to anyone out there thinking of changing a career, feel like they're stuck or they're tied down by the mortgage. I still have the mortgage. I still have the bills. I still have all that stuff. I won't tell you what the electricity bill came in the other day at. But I trust now. I trust it'll all be fine. Mm. You know, everything is always working out for me. Because temporary. <laughs> I trust. In Why the do you trust? I want you to tell that to people now. And because that is so lovely, you know, and they hear people saying that all the time. Well, I trust now to be all right. But why do you feel you trust more now than you did 10 years ago? I suppose because it's like I remember when going through the train, I remember kind of saying even to you, I feel like I just kind of woken up like that. All the past of my life was kind of like a daze or something or a haze or but like everything that I enjoy now was always there. Like I go for a walk with the dog every morning and I'm talking to the plants, I'm talking to the dogs, I'm talking to people if they pass by, you know, and that's me. I'm talking out loud all the time, but I'm appreciating stuff. Like I'll stop my friends in mid-sentence and go, oh my God, look at the sky, colours, isn't that fabulous? And it's not this false sense of I'm trying to be positive all the time. It's a genuine I think, you know, the word gratitude is lovely, but I love the word appreciation. Mm. And I'm seeing everything was there all along, but I just couldn't see it because I was in this haze of trauma, probably, you know, and the impact of it and anxiety and life and stuck in a rush and just busy, busy, busy. But when I took the time, I allowed, it's about allowing ourselves to just calm down, relax, See what's really important to us, you know, what the values are, what we love doing and all about having fun. I mean, I truly believe we're here to have fun Mm. and enjoy our lives. We were conditioned that everything was a struggle. Money was hard earned, (laughs) you know, 
no, it's not. I go around now with my money and I go, I'd start the sentence with the kids, you know, no, I'm not giving you that money, that hard earned money. And then I go, oh, no, I'm not giving you my easily earned money. Yeah. <laughs> because it was easily earned in terms of it wasn't an effort. I enjoyed it, mm. you know, and I'm not saying I didn't enjoy working all those years in accountant. I did. But it's a different sense of enjoyment. It has a different impact on my actual, my central nervous system. And I remember that when I was doing both jobs at the same time, because I'd be facing one way into the computer and my, I'd be going, oh, my God, what time is it now? I have to get this done. And my central nervous system, it'd be panicking. Mm. My whole body would be getting tense. And then, you know, in the evening, I might have a client and I turn around and I just start relaxing into mm. the treatment and I'm breathing, I'm calm and I'm enjoying myself. So I'm trusting in, I don't know what I'm trusting in, the world, the universe, all these lovely angels and guides I discovered. You know, when I talked about spirituality, I was like, oh, don't, is that religion? Don't be giving me God now. And I'm not knocking God. God is great. <laughs> but he's just, you know, that's not the word that fills me with with them um, joy. It fills me the words I love are, you know, pure positive energy, mm-hmm. source energy, you know, the light, this light inside us. I look at the sun every day and close my eyes. And I think it's one of your meditations that says charge your body with light. You know, <laughs> and <laughs> I think I'm doing this out on our hill and I say people going by. Oh, my God, she lost the plot. But I don't care because I'm having a great time. My husband calls me delusional at times and I go, yeah, absolutely delusion. But I don't care because I feel good. Brilliant. And I think just listening to you, you know, and trusting in all of that beautiful, you know, and especially the light. The light is shining in here glorious on me. I should have pulled the blind, but I love it coming in because we need more light. But what I think you, what you've really started to do, Helen, is to trust yourself. Mm. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I probably hadn't realized that. Yeah. And because I like myself, I love myself now. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of like Louise Hay talks about mirror work. You probably introduced me to that looking at myself in the mirror, telling myself I'm fabulous. I I mean, at the beginning, I couldn't even look myself in the eye, you know. Mm-hmm. And now I used to start with one of the things we did on reflex was I am and, you know, I am whole, I am healthy. I'm, you know, listing these things out. Now I go, I feel. Yeah. I feel. Positive, and that's the like, difference. Strong, it's feeling. Brave. It's yeah. feeling it and connecting that feeling mm-hmm. because, you know, like you said the other night, we were on our meditation. Our emotions are our guide. You know, that's what's guiding us. You know, like Esther Hicks talks about, you know, connecting with your inner being. You can call it your inner being, your soul, your spirit. Or, you know, some people call it God, whatever it is you want to connect with. But there is a non-physical part of us within these physical bodies mm. and having found that, you know, and realizing, oh, my God, that's part of me. Mm. And, you know, the physical part of me is is good, too. I like that, too, you know, um, and just connecting like that and trusting. Yeah. And I've made plenty of mistakes, Sharon. I'll make plenty more, you know, parenting. Oh, my God. How hard is that? How hard can that be? If that's my mindset, how easy can that be if that's my mindset? Yeah. You know, but it's not about being perfect. It's not about being constantly positive. It's just about knowing how to bring myself back from feeling feeling a wobble. You know, like I said, with the analogy of mm. the the Jenga, you know, it's a shaky tower some days. You know, other days I'm standing on the top of that solid tower, with my hands out to the universe shouting, yes, yes, yes. I'm enjoying this life. I love this life, you know. But other days I'm going hanging off the edge of it, hanging on by my nails. But, you know, but knowing the difference of being aware of it, there's another guy listening to Alex Howard. He says, if you can be it, you don't have to see it. Or if you can, sorry, of course, I have it backwards. 
<laughs> if you can see it, you don't have to be it. So it's the yeah. awareness, mm. you know, and like I say, you know, and lighten up. I'm lightening up more. A few yeah. people have said, like, I've gotten great positive feedback. And somebody recently said to me, oh, my God, you've changed so much. Like, you're a different person. And I'm thinking, yeah, you're right. I am. And then thinking, oh, my God, what was I like? <laughs> it's been awful. <laughs> but I don't care. I don't care what they think about me now. Yeah. You know, because when you do trust yourself, when you are connected with yourself, when you are, I suppose, something else I read about, there's three things people use to have power over you. And that's fear, shame and guilt. Mm. And oh, my God, have I gotten rid of so much of that mm -hmm. now, hands on heart. When when I signed up for this, the fear came back up again, you know, mm -hmm. you know, oh, my God, you're, you're going to start talking about stuff. What are people going to think about you? And then just let it go. Let it go. Mm -hmm. I'm comfortable with who I am. I spent years being uncomfortable in this body. I am so comfortable in this body now. And I'm so wanting everyone else to feel that fabulous feeling mm -hmm. that not everybody's going to like me. So what? You know, I like me. That's all that matters. You know, matters that my, you know, my family, I love my family. My family love me. We'll be killing each other one day. We'll maybe laughing the next day, you know, but I'm finally, and it's about allowing. I mm. finally, there's another thing I say to people at the beginning of the treatment and it's give your body permission to let go, mm. to let go of the resistance because we all have resistance and allow the abundance of blessings coming your way because there's an abundance of joy and happiness and peace and health and wealth for everybody out there. We just have to allow it. Mm. And when the time is right, that will happen for everybody. That's beautiful, Helen. So true. And just on the allowing, you know, people say, well, it's fine while I'm here in your treatment room. You know, I my clients going, well, I'm great and I'm so peaceful and I'm so relaxed and I let go of everything. And I said, if you can do it here, you know, wherever that is, my treatment room with Helen, whoever you're with, if you can allow yourself to let go, if you're willing, you know, to let go of that resistance for even that short space of time and feel it, then your body and your mind would remember that feeling. So I always say to them, so you have you, you know, you experience the feeling so, you know, you can do it again, that it is possible. And that's one of the things I think it's teaching people or showing people that everything is possible, even that feeling of peace within you, even if it's only for a short time, you will remember it. You can go back to that feeling because as you said earlier, it's feeling. And what you have done now is you are starting to feel, to be more aware of your emotions so that you can say, okay, this is happening right now. You know, when you're hanging off the tower with your nails, you know, blowing in the wind, screaming your head off, is that you know that it's going to be okay. And that moment when you're able to stand at the top of the tower and put your arms out wide and let the world see you as you are, but even here sharing your story today and even sharing on your own social media, you're showing people who you really are, even on the days when it isn't great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because there's plenty of those as well. It's not, you know, we can create our happily ever after. But the majority, you know, it's the 80 20 rule. If the majority of the time you're feeling good, yeah, you know, that's what it's about. Mm. I've, I've turned the tide. I've turned it back from the majority of the time feeling crap, mm -hmm. you know. I'm putting on the brave face and pretending I was feeling great mm -hmm. and not, you know, and doing what everybody does and trying to just battle through life. Effort full living as opposed to effort less living. That's mm -hmm. one thing Marguerite taught us as well, you know, and 
it's like you said, the triggers. I still get triggered. You know, I'll have my, <laughs> as I call them, my toddler tantrum in the house and the whole neighborhood can hear me. I live in the housing estate. But I'll go, when I do calm down, I'll sit down and say to them, sorry, I'm sorry. I'm human, you know, I'm sorry I behaved this way. But but my emotions are, and I'll talk about how I feel and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'm teaching my kids as well, you know, so that they don't, I mean, I joke with them. I, <laughs> I come in out of my treatment room. Sometimes I would listen to something, I'll go in and I'll go. I said to my daughter one day, you are worthy, you know, you are worthy. And she goes, where's this coming from, mom? I was listening to something and she gives me the eye roll, you know. And, you know, I realize I want them to learn everything I'm learning now, but I'm in my 50s. You know, <laughs> they're only starting out. <laughs> they're going to have to learn it their their way. I'm not going to get it right with them either. They're going to have to yeah. figure it out themselves. But as long as I'm there supporting them, listening to them 90 percent, 80 percent of the time, whatever I can, you know, well, then I'm doing the best I can. And the best mm. I can is good enough. You know, and Absolutely. Are all good enough. I think that's it, doing the best that you can wherever you are right now, however you feel. And I always say that we will just do the best you can today. If that's just getting out of bed and feeding yourself, if that's the best you can do today, great. But maybe the next day, because you achieved that and felt that was okay, maybe you can go a step further. So every day for me, you know, Helen, my saying is one step at a time and you can't go from zero to 100 in your life, it just doesn't work. But the huge thing for you and what you're sharing and that I truly believe in is the self-awareness. It's being aware of, first of all, what's going on emotionally, what's going on physically, what's going on mentally and spiritually. You know, who who am I? Who am I right now? Even if you're not sure who that is, that's OK. But finding out what you value in life, what means the most to you. And when you know that, that's a kind of a foundation to start from. And with everything that you've come through in your life, you know, and you call it a life of Jenga, which is fabulous. And I think sometimes we pull some bricks away and it might be shaky for a while. But I think that the bricks that we put back in again, maybe not the same ones, but they might be stronger and sturdier because we've learned a little bit more about ourselves like you have. And I think you're going to keep building on your tower, Helen you know, and it doesn't matter how far it goes because it's you, it's your tower, that is your life and you're going to build on now. And that's amazing from a shaky foundation that you have come from strength to strength to strength, but you had to go back into those areas and look at them, be with them, yeah, heal them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I put up a post of the day about, you know, finding the light. You have to go into the darkness to find the light. Yeah. And people are so afraid of that. And as was I, especially, you know, some things I always had memories of couldn't go there. Just mm. the time wasn't right because it was too painful. And sometimes, it, you know, people say, no, I'm shutting the door. It's a can of worms. I've heard clients say, I'm not opening that can of worms. And, you know, what I've learned through all the trauma training is you can try and suppress it all you like, but it's going to leak out. It's going to leak out in some which way, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it could be physical or uh, emotional outbursts or, in, you know, the, the body when it's, you know, in unease can, can create dis-ease, you know. Mm. So anything, it'll leak out in any which way. doesn't mean, you know, you're bad because, you know, you're not dealing with it or when the time is right. Mm-hmm. But the awareness of it, what the awareness of it means is that you can be kinder 
and more self-compassionate to yourself mm. because we all have the inner critic and you know mine was get on with it you know just get up and get on with it Helen yeah that happened yeah but worse has happened to others you know mm. what's wrong with you that was my internal voice to myself just keep going keep going keep slogging it out but there was no fun you know there was bits of fun in it mm. but you know in my life but there was no there was no self-compassion for myself. There was no. no kindness. There was no gentleness. And now that I can give that to myself, I, you know, and I suppose I was probably good at giving it to others. But to give it to myself, you know, is the most important thing. The, the most important relationship you have in our life is with ourselves, Sharon, as we both know. Oh. And, you know, when you, when you, when you start to connect with yourself, you know, there's still going to be stuff I don't like about myself. There's still going to be days I go, oh, Jesus, what did I say that for? But now I'm trusting back to the trust, back to, you know, those connected, those messages from our loved ones and spirits. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll say something mad to someone and I go, my God, where'd that come from? But it might mean me at all. It might mean a message for, that they needed to hear from someone else. You know, I certainly believe that with my brother. He's sending messages through. I've told you that story, that wonderful woman I met on the beach over mm-hmm. a year ago. And you know, I could spend three hours telling you stories about, you know, the messages he has sent through her and through that connection. And, you know, when you asked me earlier, how do I feel more connected? I'm definitely like that. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's like me. He's determined and he was bloody well determined to get back and, you know, and to connect with me, yeah. even if I was pushing him away in spirit, mm-hmm. you know, and needing to sort stuff out in my head. Um, But, you know, I'm glad I'm glad we're both back on this journey together. And like, I think it was I don't know if it was Jessica or yourself said, you know, when you have somebody in life that that died early and all the experiences you have, you can say, come on, you're coming with me on this too. Yeah. And he's on this healing journey with me. He is here with me and he is, he's just delighted. Yeah. You know, he is, and he's as happy as I am. And that's Absolutely. the important thing. Absolutely. And that's what spirit do our loved ones and spirits, as I've said many times, Helen, they don't want to see us hurting and miserable and sad and grieving for them for the rest of our lives. And so they are there to help us to heal so that we can live the best of our lives, you know, the best version of who we are in our lives. And that's how we honor their memory is by living a full and happy and joyful life to the best of our ability. Again, I always say that because not everyone is always going to be there right now if they're listening to this. But part of their healing and moving on is being able to help their loved ones that are you know, left on this earth, if you want to put it that way. So I think your brother, John, has been a huge help to you on your journey and that you have that beautiful connection again is so special. You're amazing, Helen. Um, is there any so last words? Sharon. Well, thank you. Is there any last words? It's the words? mutual adoration society we have for each other now. <laughs> well, you know what? I just think you are amazing. And every time I ask somebody, you know, if they'd like to be a guest on my podcast, it's because their story has inspired me. You know, the work that you do, not just with your clients, but the work that you did on yourself. And I've been witness to, you know, that your story is very powerful. So to really appreciate yourself for all that you've come through, Helen. Well, thank you. And thank you for being part of that journey, Sharon, because I think you were, well, you were definitely one of the first people I opened up to when I did need to um, heal the most recent trauma that I healed. And obviously I told my husband first, but, and I think even he said, we listened to your, we were listening to your podcast together. I think it was the very first one you did. 
um, and, and spirituality, really. And um, do you remember him? Then I opened up to him and he said, I think you need to go and see Sharon Fitzmaurice. And I said, I think you're right. But <laughs> I think you were the first person I actually allowed myself be truly me around, mm. you know. So I would say to anybody else going through anything, there's massive support uh, of people out there who want to help you, who want to support you, who love you. I was listening to Davina McCall, um, McCall, I don't know how you say her surname. Yeah. I was listening to podcasting her the other day and she was talking about her sister had passed away and the funeral. And she said she had an idea for a TV program that you could actually have, if anybody could see, could be at their own funeral, but be alive. You know, all the lovely mm. things we say about people, how people say, God almighty, they didn't know how, how much they meant to everybody else. Well, why wait until they die to say it? You know, so you've taught me that. If I see somebody, you know, like you say, you know, if you see someone smile, you have a lovely smile. You know, like the texts and the messages I send people now, like, they're just so different. I have no qualms about telling somebody how lovely they are. are amazing. You've told me that you are amazing. You are amazing. You know, to see that and for even for clients, meeting people where they're at is brilliant. It's fabulous. But holding a vision for them for the future. Mm. You know, that's that's magical because I couldn't see back then in my darkest, deeper days, days, this future. But now I'm here, you know, the future now. I'm just so excited about the future now. What can happen? What will happen? Every day I wake up and I go, oh, wonder what fun, great things are going to happen today. You know, yeah, I'll probably end up screaming and chatting at some point. But every night, I say three things every night and every morning, and they're three words, the same word. I say two words. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, thank you to everything and everybody. Mm -hmm. Because it just changes our mindset. Even if I'm feeling horrible, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I'll find something to thank. Thank you for this bed, this warm bed I'm in. Mm. And everybody has one. You know, in the morning, thank you, thank you, thank you. I woke up alive. Mm. <laughs> I'm here. I can breathe. So, you know, we can create our own happily ever after. It's there for everybody. It's possible. And when the time is right, you'll meet your tribe. You'll, you know, meet the wonderful people, the wonderful Sharon Fitzmaurice's, the wonderful Marguerite Brady's, the wonderful clients and, you know, people I just meet every day. You know, everybody has some gift has some ability has something to admire in them so if you see something tell them you know, I love that I love it thank you and if you had one thing to say to younger Helen <laughs> <laughs> right now do, what would you say to her I would do exactly what Davina McGall uh, described that podcast if anyone wants to check it out is the diary of a CEO CEO with Stephen Bartlett when she went through hypnotherapy, I was thinking of you and she was telling the story. And I would grab that little girl. I would wrap my arms around her. I would look into her beautiful blue eyes and tell her everything is going to be OK. And with that beautiful note, everything is OK and will be OK. Helen Kelly, it's been an absolute pleasure, as always, talking to you. Yeah. And again, thank, thank you it. so much for sharing with all of the listeners and even though I know your story and we have shared in many occasions in many of the workshops and meditations and everything that you have been so open with everybody. Um, I just think that this is, again, opening up another door for you in your life and your work. And that, you know what, 
everyone should have a Helen Kelly in their life. Oh, thank you, Sharon. And I'll give you one last story. And I promise it's the last story now. <laughs> Come on, then. I, I met a, this friend of mine I spoke about at the beginning of the year in January. And I said to her, look, 2023, this is the year. This is the year I'm going to be brave enough to share my story. And actually, her daughter has a podcast. Check it out. Partners in Positivity with her friend. And I said, now, I might even tell my story on that podcast. And she goes, and then I went, cannot. I'll have to give my first interview to Sharon Fitzmaurice. I'm going to be on her podcast first. And that's the, and it is the start of it. And it is the start of it's healing for me to talk. It's healing for me to share. And like you always say, if we if we have touched the heart of one person today, mm-hmm. then it was all worth it. Absolutely. Helen, thank you so much. It was just so lovely. Thank, thank you. you, everyone, for tuning in and listening to the lovely Helen. Um, you can find uh, Helen on Roscan Re- Reflexology on Instagram and Facebook and connect with her. And you know what? If you've never tried reflexology, it is absolutely amazing. If you are not sure why you're going, as Helen said, just go for the relaxation. How many people actually stop and rub our feet? I know in my house, there's not many that will touch mine. So (laughs) Helen is in her element when she is working with feet and working with you and your energy. So she's in County Galway. Look her up on Instagram and Facebook and connect with her. And also, if anything in this podcast um, resonates with you, you can also contact Helen or myself if you need any support. And, um, you know, if you are struggling right now and you've listened to Helen and you've listened to me before, the day does get brighter, I promise you. But just take care of yourself for right now. So until next time, everyone, I'll talk to you soon.